Thank you for supporting Overcomers Christian Center. From wherever you're listening, we hope that today's message leaves you feeling empowered and equipped. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 58. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 58. I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Starting at verse 56 and read down to verse 58. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Based on that, I want to talk to you for a few minutes on this topic, trusting the Lord with my final victory. Trusting the Lord with my final victory. Victory suggests some sort of competition has occurred. The term also suggests there is an opponent and a winner. Victory in a simple definition is the act of defeating an opponent or an enemy. Victory is synonymous with such words as success, triumph, conquest, winning, and so forth. And trusting the Lord wholeheartedly as believers, you are winning. And let me say that to you again. Trusting the Lord wholeheartedly as believers, you are winning. How many agree with that you're winning because you're trusting the Lord? I do too. The fact that we can claim a victory lets us know that we have endured a problem, a situation, a trial, uh, a person, or something that is going on in our lives. And it takes a winning mindset, a winning attitude, a winning behavior, and winning thinking to gain a victory, especially when it comes to a victory in Christ. Our mindset has to be that we're in this fight to win. Whether it's a financial fight, a marriage battle, war with our children, single and saved, we're in this battle to win. Now, we can be at war with our spouse or family member to the point that our spirit can feel broken and begin to feel beat down. And, of course, God has an answer for that. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15. The book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20 and verse 15. It helps us when we, this, uh, excuse me, a revealed word such as Second Chronicles 20 and 15 will help us to win even when we feel like giving up. A revealed word comes with power and gives us insight so that we can better understand that this battle is not ours, but the Lord. Notice what Second Chronicles 20 and 15 says. And he said, listen, all you Jew, all you of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Again, and he said, listen, O ye Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be fearful, do not operate in dread, nor be dismayed, don't be beat down or discouraged, 
because of this great multitude. Yes, it was a great multitude. And sometimes you can have a multitude of problems that are coming against you. But understand this, for the battle or the war is not yours, but God's. How many agree with that this morning? That the battle's not mine, but it's God's. I believe that Paul was a bona fide, experienced leader who was a good pastor to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor who deemed him as a true son in the faith based on 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. So let's go first of all and establish the fact that Timothy was a son in the gospel. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see here that Timothy is a son in the faith. Paul knew, based on his personal experiences, that Timothy was going to face some challenges, battles, and wars in this journey. And we must trust the Lord wholeheartedly and nod the Lord in all our ways and allow him to direct our path when we deal with life challenges. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that things are not always going to be easy, not going to be pleasant and so forth. People are not always going to want to hear what you have to say. Timothy, listen to Paul, made him a better pastor. And see, when I take heed to the word of God coming from my bishop, it makes me a better pastor and a better brother in the Lord. As senior ministers, we take heed to the word and to the instructions that, that we receive through the word. We're going to be better. Young ministers and ministers alike can listen uh, to sound and spiritual senior ministers. They can learn from their personal experiences and become better. Likewise, we can all take heed to God's word and apply it. Uh, better keeps coming and victories continue to manifest. So we see here in this text that Paul shared with Timothy sound wisdom that will help develop his mindset to stay in the race and be willing to fight. He reminds him to have a certain mindset thought process and way of doing things when it comes to fulfilling his assignment. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse, excuse me, not 2, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long, long suffering and teaching. Well, the time will come without they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Let's go back and look at that scripture, those scriptures a little closer. So in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he tells young Timothy to preach, to proclaim the word. He says, be ready, Timothy, 
Be stand firm in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Well, the time will come, young, young Timothy, where well, they will not endure or hold up to sound doctrine, to sound teaching. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And this is what you need to understand. There are going to be people out there that you can tell them the truth, but they still going to want to go after a lie. I'll leave that. Think about that for a moment. And they will turn their ears from the truth. What is true uh, pertains to God and the duties of man and be turned aside to fables, a fiction, a story, a falsehood. Let me say this again. You think that 2021 people have started believing lies? People were believing lies in the Bible days. People were believing lies and which was interesting to me, they believe fiction, story, and falsehood in this day just like they do in that day. But the sad thing about it is that some people don't believe the gospel, which to me is the most sad part of that story. In verse 5, but you be watchful, be sober, be calm and collected, be alert in all things, endure afflictions, suffer hardships, endure hardships, endure troubles, endure evils, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is ministering to Timmy, uh, Timothy about his mindset, his thinking, and his emotions. No doubt. Paul knew that if Timothy was going to gain the victory in this life and beyond, he was going to have to be watchful, sober, willing to endure trouble, and be rejected for truth. And many of us, are like, uh, if we want the victory, we've got to go through the process. We've got to go through the process. We cannot say that we want victory and not be willing to run the race. Paul understood there was a final victory that he had been he had been trusting the Lord for. And we see this in Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven and verse eight, which reads as follows. I have fought. I have contended with adversaries. I have struggled with difficulties. I have dealt with dangers. The good fight. How many know it's not a good fight unless you win? How many know I've never had a good fight and I lost the fight? Some of y'all ain't quite got that yet, but I pray you get it. A good fight means you're winning the fight. He says this, I have finished or I have accomplished, I have executed, I have completed the race. I have kept the faith, my belief, my trust, and my confidence in the one true God, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul was saying my resume, my testimony, my life speaks for me. And so he goes on in verse 8, in this same chapter and verse. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown, a mark of royal and exalted rank, eternal, excuse me, eternal blessings that will be given to me as a prize for my genuine service of Christ. Of righteousness, righteousness means justification. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, the righteous judge gives a righteous crown. Will give to me on that day and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. 
Paul was letting Timothy know, you're going to go through in this life, but keep preaching, keep publishing, keep being an example of the word of God in your ministry. Some people refer to here made up stuff, conspiracy theories, falsehood, and so forth, rather than the truth of God's word. But you have to be able to trust God with your future. And the details of our future may be limited to us, but they're not to God. Ooh, I like that. The details of our future may be limited to us, but not to God. Even though he does not reveal every detail concerning our future, he does does give us a glance into the events that will happen. Paul had a glimpse of his future, something that uh, would exist or come to happen in due time. Despite what his current, despite what his current circumstances look like. And I can imagine that when Paul was writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and you think about this from this standpoint, let's go back over to 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul was writing this letter to Corinth. This is the first letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And as he was writing this letter, he had gone through, he's getting toward the end of this letter. And, and then he finds himself in uh, excuse me, a deep revelation or a revelation that comes from God has just been imparted into Paul's spirit. And as this revelation is imparted into Paul's spirit, he said, you know what? I got to write this down for the people in Corinth. And he says this to the people in Corinth. I consider this a mystery. Notice this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, a hidden secret, not obvious to the understanding. We shall not all sleep, but, but we shall all be changed. In other words, we're in the, we're in this life for a portion of time, but we're going to be changed. Now, when I was coming up in ministry, we call this the rapture. But, you don't see the word rapture, at least in my studies, used in this particular text. So, we're not going to call it the rapture, but we're going to talk about when the Lord comes and gets his people. Now, I want you to understand something about this. When Paul is writing this letter, he has covered many different topics. And it started at the beginning of the letter up until this point. And now Paul is almost like he's having a, he's really getting a revelation from God. And it's almost like he's seeing something and he's putting it in words as the Holy Spirit directs him what he sees. And right now, Paul is giving us a glimpse into the Corinthian church future as well as our future. Are y'all with me so far? He says this. I tell you a mystery, something that's hidden, that's something that's a secret. It's not obvious to the understanding. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed or transformed from one place into another. See, we've all had an appointed time based on Hebrews 9 and 27. Go to Hebrews 9, 27. 
Hebrews 9, 27 reads as follows. And it is appointed or reserved for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So we see in that text that men is scheduled to meet his maker at one point or another. Death is a part of the journey as Paul is revealing the mystery and the hope that lies in this scripture. And one, and to me, one of the great treasures of the kingdom of God is that God is revealing his secrets to us every Sunday by his servants according to Amos 3 and 7. Let's go to Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. It reads as follows. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. See, the Lord reveals his secrets or his counsel to us on a week by week basis. In this particular text, Paul has, it's been revealed to him what the Corinthian church was going to have to look for in the future. It was revealed to him. It was something that was given to for the Corinthian church. But not only the Corinthian church, but for us as believers here this Sunday morning. He's been giving it to us. Now, what is he giving unto us? Week by week, God gives us counsel on how to be happy, how to be delivered, how to pray, how to give, how to prosper, how to be healed. Physically and mentally, how to be victorious and so forth. Every Sunday through his servant, the pastor, God is revealing his secret to his people. And we are blessed and highly favored when you get the secrets revealed to you week in and week out. Because this is how you deal with what is to come. By listening to what God is revealing to his people. And I thank God he loves me enough to show me, hey dogs, you need to get that prayer life in, in order because this is what you got to deal with next week. You better get your fasting in order because this is what you got to deal with next week. Listen, you better get your giving in order because, you know something I learned about giving? Giving can help you make better decisions. I thank God that giving can help us make better decisions. And so when God is revealing stuff to us, he's revealing to us because he knows we're going to need it for our future. And I appreciate that when Paul looked into, when God revealed that to him, he shared that with the Corinthian church. And as God shares it with me, I need to share it with you as well. And we're in a blessed situation when God is revealing his secrets by his service to his people. Just like what happened to Paul, just like what's happening today. Now, let's go a little further. When Jesus comes back for his church, hallelujah, there will be believers who are going about their everyday life and they will be transformed instead of having to go through death. It's called the last trump. The last trumpet, as we read here in this particular text, and the last trumpet, 1 Corinthians 15 and 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, oh Lord, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I want you to notice what Paul is revealing to the Corinthian church. He's showing them a mystery. One day, 
one day in the future, we're going to be changed. You're going to be going about your everyday business and you're going to be changed and you're going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet. Ooh, it's the, uh, it's God coming to get his people. I, let me tell you something. Every time I think about God coming to get his people, I get happy. I get happy. I get happy because I know one day God going to come and get me. You ought to be happy about that too as well. That one day God is coming to get you. No matter your troubles, no matter your heartaches, no matter what you're going through, God going to get you out of here one day. Oh, mm. I'm sorry. Let me get back. Let me get back. But he says here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 52, and the dead will be raised. So the dead are going to be raised up incorruptible. They Something they had on that was corruptible is going to be incorruptible, imperishable, not liable for corruption or immortal, and we will be changed. We see the, tra- the change or the transformation, the dead being raised to immortal and imperishable. In other words, they're not going to be able to perish or decay. We're getting a glorified body. Those who are saved and die will be changed first, and they will get their glorified body in which they will live with Jesus forever. And I don't know about you, if you don't get happy about living with Jesus forever, I don't know what I can do for you today. Because we ought to be happy that one day we're going to live with Jesus forever. Woo, glory be to God. First Corinthians fifteen fifty three. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Immortality is the undying or the everlasting. He goes on to explain that the mortal must put on immortality, undying, everlasting, giving us a body that will never die, never get sick, that will be with him forever. See, the process of death and dying can seem overwhelming to the person who has experienced the loss of a loved one. Being able to grasp a better understanding of God's word can somewhat help us gain a better perspective on death. It takes power, dunamis, life-giving power to defeat or gain victory over death. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, in other words, the believers as those that were dead and those that were walking around on the earth have been transformed, then what, notice what he says here, death is swallowed up in victory. No longer would the death, would death have a reign over the believer's life. Because death was going to be destroyed and devoured up in victory. That that the defeating an opponent or an enemy. In fact, he's going to tell us we're defeating death and Hades. It's going to defeat us. Excuse me. We're going to, excuse me. Death and Hades are going to be swallowed up in victory. Paul has given the church at Corinth, along with the church at OCC, a divine glimpse into our future. Glory be to God. We do not have to fear or be unsure about what is to come, but to know that God has taken the sting out of death and Hades. Sting represents a not only the de- a deadly weapon, but it's something that pricks us, causes pain, a wound, or an injury. God says, I have removed that. And let me say this to you. It wasn't us that gave us the victory. It was Jesus that gave us the victory. When he got up from that grave, he defeated death 
and the grave. And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We got something to look forward to. Jesus is coming back for his church without a spot or a wrinkle. And I'm looking forward to that day where Jesus comes back and gets his church. And we ought to be happy about the fact that one day God is coming to get his church. And I pray that he gets every last one of us in this sanctuary. From the youngest to the oldest, God comes and gets us back. Now, let me go further. Let me go further. No longer do we have to be threatened with dying because we have something that will never die. Paul begins to call out death by name in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He says, death, separation of soul and body. Where is your sting? Where is your pain? Where is your wound? Where is your injury? Oh, Hades, the state of being separated souls in the grave. Where is your victory? And let me say this to you. Before Jesus came back, death and Hades used to run rampant on the earth. They would defeat people left and right. But now when Jesus came back, death and Hades can no longer run rampant on the earth. Because Jesus said, I have put the enemy under my foot. And thanks be to God, he put him under his foot and he reigns forever. And we don't have to be afraid of death, death or Hades any longer. Because we are children of the most high God. We do have to not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, but of love, and of a sound mind. You do, do not have to fear the talk of Hades. You do not have to fear the talk of death, because Jesus overcame death and Hades. He's given us the victory. Hallelujah. Now, we know that Jesus conquered death and the grave at Calvary's cross based on two powerful scriptures. And we're going to read those, first of all, 2 Corinthians 5 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5 and 15. And he died for all. Not some, but all. Everyone that will believe he died for him. All those who live should no longer, excuse me, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Then also Matthew 28 and 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth and on earth. Let me say this to you. One authority has been given to him is Hades and the grave. That's why when Jesus said it's appointed unto man once to die and after the resurrection, God has the, listen, he has the keys in his hands. He has the authority over Hades and the grave. See, if the devil had his way, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And listen, if you follow the devil long enough, he will take dominion over your life. But those who follow Jesus and don't have to be concerned about the devil because Jesus took the power from the devil. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Now, let, let me teach a little bit further. Death can be completed in one sense. Death can be complicated in one sense. Space of the natural mind was proof that we can't learn, lean to our own understanding. Notice what he said, the sting of death is sin that violates God's law, miss the mark or be, or be mistaken. And the strength of sin is the law. The strength talks about the power, the ability of the influence of 
what was going on. There's a time when the law had people in bondage to the point that once they died, they would be separated from God. But this no longer has to be the case. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin. And the strength and the strength of sin is the law. Notice what he says here. The strength of sting of death is sin. See, that death had a sting to it. It had a sting to it. Had a sting to it. And, but it was sin. And the strength of sin is the law. The reason you knew that you had missed the mark was because of the law. And back then, the punishment of the law was death. That's why he said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But we appreciate Jesus, but thanks be to God in verse 57, who gives us the victory. Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. He gives us, he grants, he supplies us the victory, the act of defeating an opponent or an enemy. It was Jesus who defeated death. It was Jesus who defeated Hades. Jesus who did it. Jesus who got up from that grave. Jesus is alive right now. Jesus wants you to follow him all the days of your life. It's Jesus that did it. And that's why we have the right to eternal life. Isn't it a blessing that God, uh, that God is always ready to supply or deliver us and give us the victory, not only in that area, but in every area of our life. Paul was giving the church a glance of their future. He said, listen, this is what you got to look forward to. This is what you got to look forward to. This is what you got to look forward to. He's giving you a glimpse of your future. But he said, in order to get there, I'm going to give you the formula to live today. Because in order to get there, you got to get there. <laughs> Watch what I'm saying now. He said, I'm showing you what's in the future. I'm showing you you got the victory. I'm showing you got the victory over death and Hades. But you're here. You're here. You are right here. And so now, before we get there, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, let's look at something that Jesus gave us just recently in Jude 24. Jude 24. Let's turn there real quickly. Jude 24 reads as follows. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So notice this. When we have a better understanding of our future because of the secret that was revealed to Paul to the Corinthian church, then God can keep us until that day. Oh, I love the fact that God can keep us to that day. I mean, not just, uh, not just Keep us for a week or a month or a year, but God can keep you until God, until He comes back for His church. I mean, God can keep you until He says, Hey, the trumpet sound. God can keep you to the trumpet sound. Whether, I don't care where you at, God can keep you. You could be riding down 20, the trumpet sound. Bye, car. You could be watching television. You could be at work or in your business and the trumpet sound. Woo! Tell somebody, I got to go. <laughs> I ain't staying here any longer. I've got to go. I've got to go. And so he says, I'm following the pathway that God has for me. Jude 24 says, he's able to keep us from stumblers and to present you faultless for the presence of the glory 
with exceeding joy. So Paul lays out the formula for us to be kept. And he gives us four powerful practices in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Let's look at those. I'm going to read it to you and we'll go back and we're going to talk about them. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reads as follows. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Paul says, before you get raptured out of here, I've got something I want you to do. I've got to get you from where you are today, August the 8th, 2021, or whenever you hear this message, I'm getting you from here to the day that Jesus comes and get his church. I've got to get you to that day. But in the meantime, there's four things I want you to do. One, be steadfast. Be steadfast. I want you to be firm. I want you to be firmly fixed in the place. I want you to be unwavering. I want you to stay the same course. I want you to be dedicated. I want you to be devoted. And I want you to be loyal. To who? Jesus. I want you to be that. In fact, this is a very similar thing that Paul also told the Colossian church. Go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. The book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he told the church at Colossus, we should continue which means to stay with, to remain in the faith. And then he says this, you're going to be grounded. You're going to be stable and established so you won't be moved away. But watch this, from the gospel. The gospel is what's going to keep us firm. The gospel is what's going to keep us steadfast. That what Jesus ministered on Excuse me, what Jesus ministered through his written and revealed word is what's going to keep us. Because you got to be grounded. You got to be grounded. Steadfast. If I'm gonna meet Jesus one day in one day, I've got to be steadfast today. Gotta to be steadfast today. Second thing he talks about is to be immovable. Not to be moved from his place. Unmoved. Firmly persistent. I've got to be immovable. See. It's much more likely a believer becomes unmovable if they trust the object that they, that they want, that they don't want to be moved from. If I don't want to be moved from Jesus, if I trust him, I'm not going to be moved from him. I have found this out to be true, and I hope it ain't true for nobody in this sanctuary. People will leave a trustworthy God to go to something that is untrustworthy. Let me say that to you again. I want you to get that. People will leave a trustworthy God and go to something that is untrustworthy. It's sad that God has never failed, never lied, never told you anything he cannot back up in his word. But people will leave God and go to their own ways. 
They're lame to their own understanding. They'll trust somebody who got limited information instead of a God that knows everything about you. Everything. They'll lean to their own understanding. They'll say to God, I, I, you know, I heard God told me to do this, that, and the other, but they got no word to back it up. No word to back it up. That's why I believe in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Oh, good God Almighty. Thank you, Lord, for being unmovable. Listen, if we don't move, God won't move. In fact, if you do move, God's still going to be right here. Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God does not move. When people get shaky, God does not move. I like the fact that God don't move. I'm glad he's not moved by the economy or by what doctors say or what a lawyer say. I'm glad God is not moved by what people say. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. People can't move God. And again, our trust is not just in what God is doing now, but what God is doing in the future. You know, I think God, he coming back. I believe God's coming back for a church one day. I do. I believe God's coming back. I believe God is coming back. He's going to split the clouds. He's going to have that last trumpet. I believe he's coming back for us. But you know what I also believe? I believe God is a healer today. I believe God is a deliverer today. I believe God will prosper his people today. I believe God will give you peace today. And I believe God can keep us until that day. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at God being immovable. We have a hope, and our hope is in Jesus. One important part of that hope is that we believe in our future with Jesus. We trust Jesus, which helps us to think, to talk, and conduct our character like Jesus. When trials come, when tribulations come, when hardships come, when rejections come, when relationship issues come, when financial issues come, when pain in the body comes, when mental challenges come, one of the reasons we continue in our faith is because Jesus is not moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Whatever you go through in life, God was not moved by your changes. He's the same. Somebody say he's the same. Hallelujah. Let me say this. One thing I thought about when I was was studying this, if we do not have Jesus, our future may be controlled by our thinking. It could be controlled by the government. It could be controlled by a job or a business or the dictates of our flesh or any other force that will try to control us. But when we trust Jesus, we put our trust in him in the future as well as today. As today. Oh, yeah, I love the fact that God going to change us one day. But you know what I love one day? He going to supply my need today. Are y'all seeing that? Listen, if you trust God for your future, you can trust God today. You can trust God today. Oh, I believe God is going to do it in the future. Hey, believe God to do it today. Believe he can do it today. 
Believe God can supply your need. Believe God can heal your body. Believe God can prosper you. Believe that he can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Next point. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. Going above and beyond. Overflow into another. In the work, the deeds, and the accomplishments of the Lord. This is why I believe Paul understood that faith without works is dead, being alone. Dead without life, not affected, destitute of power. James 2 and 26 reads as follows. James chapter 2 verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As we apply here and apply the written and revealed word of God, our spiritual work will overflow into every area of our life. For example, our prayer life will overflow into our school, our workplace, our business, and so forth. You know your prayers are helping your children while they're in school right now? Thank y'all for the four amen. You got to believe your prayers are helping your children right now. Your, your prayers is helping your children right now. Listen, the reason they're protecting and making A's and doing so well because God is answering your prayers. It's overflowing into your work, into your business. Our giving's overflowing into our decision making. I know I said that earlier, but I had written it down here that our giving is helping us make better decisions. And that's blessing us financially. I realized that, uh, I heard Deacon say it. I said, well, I, he must be in my message because he did, he had just grabbed my point and just went with it. I said, okay, hallelujah. But God must be trying to get this message to somebody in this sanctuary. Your giving is helping you with your decision making. Giving God his tithes and his offering, he said he'll rebuke the devour for your sake. It's not just the financial devour. It's sometimes it's the bad decision to devour. Making bad decisions all the time, but God can help you with that if you trust him with it. You got to trust him with your decision making. Our devotion time will overflow and it causes us to have peace and joy and love in the other areas of our lives. And the last one I'll talk about is knowing that knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Ooh, you got to you got to know this. You got to discern. You got to know that your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, not empty, not destitute of spiritual growth or meaning. It's not vain. Your labor, your time, your prayer time, your witnessing. When you witnessing, it's not in vain. When you go and share the good news of Jesus with somebody else, even if they don't respond, it's not in vain. It is not in vain when you share Jesus with a co-worker, when you share Jesus with a family member, when you share Jesus with anyone, it is not in vain. They may not respond like you want them to, but believe me, it's not in vain. One planet, one water, but it's God that gives the increase. You showing love to somebody, being kind to somebody, it's not in vain. They may not even tell you thank you. But if you led by God to help them, you do it anyway. Because it's not in vain. The Lord has the power to make sure that our effort in Jesus is well worth the effort. Effort, And we trust the Lord with our results. How many trust God with your results? Well, you got to. You got to. Today's message blessed me because I realized there is a found victory in all of our futures. See, we have to focus on trusting God, showing belief and confidence in God 
with our convictions so that we can make sure that the same victory lap that Paul talked about at his appointed time, that we'll do the same thing. And we need to understand that trusting God with your future, and I thank God you even trust him today. Oh, I thank God. There's some believers in this sanctuary to trust God today. Listen, I know is I know sometimes it don't seem like you're gonna make it. It don't seem like you're going to go get whatever your heart is. I mean, sometimes you're like, my God, will I ever get through this challenge right here? But if you trust God with your future, you can trust God with today. You know, one thing when I was looking when Paul wrote this letter to the to the church, and think about this. When he wrote it, it was revealed to him. I mean, it was a supernatural reveal, too. It wasn't that, uh, a natural thing that Paul received here. He was talking about the catching away of the church. And when he, re- he got that revelation, he shared it with the Corinthian church. And I'm sharing with you what Paul shared with the Corinthian church. And then when he, when he said, hey, one day, y'all, we're going to be caught away. That trumpet going to sound. Our body's going to change. And we're going to be with Jesus forever. But before you get there, I need you to be steadfast. I need you to be unmovable. I need you to always abound in the work of the Lord. I need you to know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I need you to live for Jesus today. I need you to live for Jesus today. If you can trust God with your future, hey, I'm going to be in heaven one day. That's wonderful. But trust God before you get to heaven. Are y'all seeing that? Trust him to supply your needs. Trust him to make a way out of no way. Trust him to heal your body. Trust him to do what he said according to his word. Trust him to give you peace. Trust him to give you joy. Trust him in every aspect of your life. So that when Romans 8 and 28 kicks in. See, when you trust God, you know all things going to work for your good. Oh, you know it's going to work. Oh, how, how do you know it's going to work for your good? I mean, when you trust God for your future, that's what you're telling God. You know what? I'm going through a rough trial right here, but it's going to work for my good. One thing I thought about when I was writing this, I, I uh, write some notes there. I said, you know, you could trust in the lawyer one day, but one day that lawyer going to retire. You could, that doctor can be the best doctor in the world. Well, one day that doctor going to miss it. One day, you can, listen, you can trust in your resources, but sometimes your resources are not enough. A company, you can trust in a company. You can trust in this company right here. This company is always going to be there. But one day it may not be there. But you know who always going to be there? Jesus. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. A doctor can retire, but Jesus will never retire. A lawyer can have a bad day, but God never has a bad day. A company can go out of business, but Jesus will never go out of business. Because why? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I trust God that one day he's going to get me, he's going to get us. With the trumpet, I can trust God with my today. I can trust God with my future. I can trust God with our final victory.
the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. One day, one day, he's going to come and get us, y'all. He's going to come and get us. He's going to come and get us. Woo, how many agree that God will come and get you one day, according to the scripture? That's it. He'll come and get us one day. Before he get us, though, we got to be steadfast, immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please subscribe to our podcast. And if you're ever in the Villarica area, you can visit us at 3193 South Van Wert Road in Villarica, Georgia, on Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 7. You can also reach us at 770-459-6221. That's 770-459-OCC1. Follow us on Facebook at Overcomers Christian Center and visit us online at occvr.org. We pray that you're empowered and equipped in today's world.